everyone. You are listening to episode 317 of the App Percussion Podcast. Ksenia Komlianovic speaking, your host, and with me are my dear buddies and percussion nerds par excellence, Carly Vigna. Love your creative introductions. Thank you. I really do put in a minute there. <laughs> How are you doing, Carly? Doing all right. Doing all right. Doing How are you? Uh... I'm I'm well. I'm missing uh, the Super Bowl as we all are, but you know, who cares? By the time this airs, nobody's gonna think about it anymore. So it's it's fine. We'll just miss on this most important Your event in American history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have Caleb Pickering here. Hey, as of right now, the Rams are thirteen to ten, and the Bengals are losing. I didn't even know who was in it till about thirty seconds ago. So ah, well, there you go. That's spoiler alert <laughs> i hope no one was waiting for this update caleb yeah 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 if you were if you didn't see anything for the past two and a half weeks now you know <laughs> half time the rams are winning join tune into the ad percussion podcast to find out about sort of half of what goes on in the super bowl that's how interested we are now wait but caleb you have some cool news you have nice uh, valentine's day gift uh, sort of ad here for everybody what's going on with these competitions and your music yeah, yeah look yeah yeah get this for your bay or your boo <laughs> and if you're not watching the video go enter the modern <laughs> snare drum competition and buy my a2's book and you can fuel my i can buy chips with that i can pay <laughs> a portion of water bill i can afford one flip-flop yeah you really no, but it was it was really cool. Yeah, um, I saw that was added, and uh, I was pretty stoked on it. So did, yeah, did they did they tell you, or did you just find out when the list went out? I found out when I got a ton of emails selling this one piece, <laughs> all within like a two hour span. Um, I was like, something something's up. That's that's not a coincidence. Pharrell Williams shared your music and said, you know what, scratch the Super Bowl, everybody, just go support Caleb Pickering. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, if you are fearless and you really are ready to tackle on some impossibilities on snare drum, just go get those. They're etudes, so that's A, A, for those who come from North America, and then twos. It's pretty cool. Um, and okay, f the final person who already gave away their beautiful voice is Benjamin Car Benjamin Carls. <laughs> <laughs> Getting Carly and me mixed up. <laughs> you are merging. You are merging musical. Uh -oh. <laughs> I was going to say for the whole Super Bowl thing, we should just say congratulations to, and leave a blank, and we'll edit in later. So yeah, congratulations <laughs> to. dog one i know i know he will that's what's gonna happen there um awesome so as always uh we talk a little bit about music history because this uh, episode is gonna drop on february 24th and i looked up what happened and here's how my thought process went so i look it up and it says that in 1956 so 66 years ago Cleveland, Ohio, the police invokes a 1931 ordinance barring people under the age of 18 from dancing in public unless accompanied by an adult. And I'm like, okay, so that's the most interesting part of history that happened in, on February 24th. So I'm like, what the hell happened? Why would they do that? Um, it turns out, has anyone here heard of dance marathons? Yeah. Oh, Caleb organizes one, apparently. What's I up? I have not, but I've heard of the musical Footloose that this sounds a whole lot like. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay, well, I did not know about this. So Caleb, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it turns out that um, this thing happened in 1931. So they barred it, uh, prohibiting so-called continuous performances or dance marathons, because these dance marathons that were often also called walkathons were human endurance contests in which couples danced for almost, like almost nonstop for hundreds of hours, sometimes as long as, six months for prize money. And then you're like, how do people dance for six months for prize money? Well, it turns out that um, this was all during the Great Depression. So people are miserable and you know the economy sucks. And there's this person that comes up, uh, what was her name? Alma Cummings. And she did a 27 hour stunt with six different dancing partners and then capitalism 
seeps in and is like, ooh, but people like to come and see this. Let's let's do this. So I'll show you pictures. Like this is this is real. Turns out that uh, these dance marathons had people paying ten to twenty five cents, which is up to four dollars today, to go and watch uh, couples dance. And those couples would dance for prize money that's about five hundred dollars at the time, which is about eight thousand dollars today. So, you know, it's up to you whether you think that's worth six months of your time, but probably if you're unemployed, it's a pretty good idea because um, you get food, you get a place to sleep, um, and you get some money on top of that if you happen to win. Um, so the longest contest was 22 weeks and three and a half days. Wow. That's, that's insane, right? Um, that's a lot of dancing. That's yeah, a lot and, of dancing. And you get your steps in too. You get your <laughs> their pedometers <laughs> must have been through the roof. Yeah. I mean, that was so they had a pretty loose uh, definition of what dancing meant. Um, so because I was like, how can anyone dance for that long? Obviously, you don't. You have to be on your feet. You have to be in contact with your partner. You have to be moving in some way. So you could be walking as well or shuffling or whatever. Um, but the important thing is that your knees do not touch the ground. Now, obviously, there had to be intermissions for sleeping, and competitions handled this differently. Some competitions every hour allowed 15-minute breaks where people would go into uh, separate rooms and sleep in these beds for 15 minutes. Or every 15 minutes, they would get a bit of food. And there are even like these like you would be dancing and holding your partner while they're writing a letter or while they're shaving and you're holding their mirror. It's like, it's, it's completely insane. So now if you're just listening, I'm going to uh, show this to those uh, who can watch. So tune into YouTube, but check this out. This is what this stuff looked like. So everybody sees this. This is the dance marathon sort of 20s, 30s, everyone looks really hyped, <laughs> right? These are all very serious faces. And those people around them are all spectators, right? So this is how it starts. Um, for those listening, again, they're just couples standing there and they're dressed in nice clothes. You know, it's a black and white picture and uh, they don't look very happy, but that's okay. I guess people didn't really tend to smile a lot in pictures then. So it progresses into this. And this is a picture of uh, a man literally holding a woman who is so obviously asleep with her knees bent and completely passed out in his arms. Um, and as it says, you know, here, it, they're open day and night. So these people just keep dancing. There were reverse occasions as well where um, the female partner would hold the male partner as he's asleep on her shoulder. And then in the end, there were awards. And this couple danced for... 1,473 hours, which means 61 days and a little bit over that, which is completely insane. And so now you know how reality shows started because they would also like plant actors in there who would start little fights so they'd get more audience in and so on. It's And also planted like professional dancers so that they would spice things up a little. I mean, it's just... I thought this was pretty crazy. So they got banned. I mean, these things got banned because a person died after dancing for 80 something hours. Um, and then also a woman, uh, sadly, I mean, both are really sad occasions, but a woman after placing fifth in the competition and not winning enough for any prize money, I'm not sure, she committed suicide. So they were just like, okay, we are now gonna stop these. So. I mean, I did not, I did not know this thing existed, so I thought it was interesting. Do, do you think when they see like somebody about to go down, they start playing the sacrificial dance from Ride of Spring? <laughs> Just jump, 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 bum, bum, bum. I would, I would. <laughs> not to make light of people that die dancing, but. No, but it's, oh my God. I mean, it's just fascinating what humans come up with. These things uh, still exist today. Dance marathons exist today, but they're, like a 12 hour thing and they're a charity thing and you get water and they don't try to exhaust you, but it's, you know, a way to raise awareness and, and do something different. So there you go, humanity advanced. Anyway, so <laughs> that we're done with that. 
we get to invite and introduce uh, our wonderful guests into the conversation. Uh, our guests are a promising young chamber group that is about to drop a dazzling new album, When Dark Sounds Collide, new music for percussion and piano. We have two percussionists and a pianist here, also honorary percussionist, uh, who make up Pathos Trio. Everyone, please welcome Marcelina Suhotska, Felix Reyes, and Alan Hankers to the show. In that order, let's hear your voices. Hi, Marcelina. <laughs> Hello, nice to see everybody. Thanks for having me back. Hey, thanks for being back. Hey, Felix. Hey, how's it going? Uh, thanks for inviting us. Of course, thanks for being on the show. And hey, Alan, you're one of the rare, you know, not snare drummers on the show. So congratulations. <laughs> well, I'm humbled to be a part of it. Hello. Hi. We're, we're so glad we could elevate your career. I saw that you do these like little things like write music for Amazon. So I'm so glad that we could do something like really important for you here now. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, of course. We'll, we'll get you a copy of Caleb's Etudes, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think this is on the Pulitzer for next year. I, I, they haven't said anything yet, but it might be. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, so um, please tell us, whoever wants to begin, a little bit about your trio for our listeners who are may not be um, yet introduced to it and about the idea behind this album. Yeah, so I mean, I guess you know, kind of how we started off as a group, uh, you know, Pathos kind of originated, really originated almost as a duo between myself and Marcelina. And I think this was back in uh, fall 2017, when I just graduated, finished my master's, moved out to Brooklyn and was just looking for people to play with. And Marcelina came on my radar, um, you know, as someone who I, who I thought had really close, similar interests with me in terms of music. And, you know, we, reached out to her and be like, hey, we should, you know, this, we should just play um, and just like try to do stuff together. And she's like, yeah, sure. Um, and then once we, once we kind of felt that there was like a really strong chemistry between us as far as playing goes as a duo, then we started thinking about, oh, you know, we should, you know, maybe try to like reach out to composers to write pieces for us. And, and then that's sort of how Alan came into the picture. Alan was, you know, the, the first person that we reached out to in terms of you know, wanted to write a piece for us. And then as Alan sort of kind of came along and was writing the music, you know, he, he used the one that kind of threw the idea of like, hey, you know, I'm really liking, you know, where this is going when I'm writing, like, would you guys be interested in having piano in there and me playing in it? And we were like, oh yeah, sure. I mean, like, you know, we all have come from similar backgrounds, you know, classically trained in really strong contemporary music programs, but also we have like really strong, same similar interests in music and so like once once we actually started putting our first piece together which is alan's piece that he wrote for us distance you know that's where we kind of we knew that there was something special in the group and we we're like okay you know this this works we should definitely make this you know like a legitimate legitimate uh, you know trio nice and yeah and yeah and so that, and then also i mean like the album is really kind of a compilation of you know, our, our first batch of commissions that we've, you know, we put together as a, as a group. And so well done. I mean, it's so well done. It really does not strike us as a debut album. So congratulations on, on all of that. That's amazing. Um, but what is the importance of releasing a full album? Because I always go back to, you know, Beyonce, the goddess, and even she talked about when she did Lemonade, this is for all of those who need a little bit more of actual music history, um, that she did it because she realized that people no longer sit down and, you know, listen to a record. It's all so quick and there's all these tiny singles coming out. And so I think the appeal behind her doing all these videos was so that people would actually bloody sit down and like experience something in its entirety, an entire body of work. So what for you is the reason behind doing a full album? Well, I think there are a few reasons. And one that comes to mind is that we like the idea of having like a broader framework to kind of present these different pieces in. Um, kind of to the point, uh, to Beyonce's point of how uh, we've maybe lost a strong tradition in sitting down and listening to something of a longer duration. There's something I think special about having like a bunch of different pieces and how the one that proceeds and the one that follows each one kind of almost sets a different environment to perceive the one that follows. So 
we spent a lot of time working with these composers and thinking about how there's sort of this uh, innate shape that comes from playing these pieces back to back. And, you know, that's something that we discovered from playing them and just from rehearsing them. And, you know, there's this sort of magic of like kind of having, uh, you know, the, the more like micro individual pieces and then you zoom out, you kind of get this macro piece, uh, this sort of combination. And, you know, that's uh, something that I think we've all found really interesting in, in classical ensembles, but also um, in more vernacular and, and pop records as well, or like, a, I think of like a progressive rock concept albums where it's just these like huge works that are conceived as like a single piece. So I think that was something that we found really attractive uh, in, in having an album. Yeah, and it definitely, I mean, from the one event that I witnessed, which had all of your beautiful videos and music um, in it, uh, it was a few months ago now already, um, it really did strike me how it was really interesting because all of your music was pretty dark and edgy, but it's it was so interesting how it was always a different observation of the darkness. It's almost like it's not this thing, this default thing that you think of, like darkness is something I don't know, bad, for example, not at all. There are all of these stages, all of this evolution of the concept and all of these layers. And it's so beautiful. It's like when your eyes get used to the darkness and then you actually start seeing things completely differently. That's how that album felt. And it was very intimate in that way also, just um, really so, so, so well done. So congrats. So what the topic of our episode is actually um, album launch and promotion, because I think we talk a lot, you know, especially throughout school, we have this very altruistic, beautiful approach to just music. Um, but I always wonder, like, how do you even get that out there? How do you make people, you know, listen to it? And that's what we wanted to talk to you about, because all of you are, again, not so music, not only so musically smart, but you're so smart about how you present this to people and how you bring this to people. So obviously um, you're very good at writing grant proposals and receiving financial support for your projects, which we see all the time. You get a call for composers and so on because you get support. Um, can you tell us how much this album cost and who supported it? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I guess I could be answering that because I, I more or less will, I do all the, a lot of the grant writing and the logistics behind the scenes with the group. And, you know, um, it was definitely a long process. It was definitely a slow build. But I mean, as far as, you know, uh, organizations that have supported us, you know, we had, you know, we, I had applied us for, you know, for funding for like foundation for contemporary arts and from like New Music USA, um, not necessarily tied into the album, but, you know, we had our ensemble forward grant from last year, and we kind of took some of the, some of those funds and, you know, put it into the production of, of this album. And so, so like a lot of things came from various different places, most, most of which came from uh, New Music USA. So, I mean, like, I won't, I won't say that, I won't say the exact amount per se, as far as like how much, how much it was, but I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely like, you know, in, in the thousands, for, I mean, for sure. I mean, like, cause you know, you're, you're talking not just, not just the production of like, uh, of like the physical album itself, but, you know, like also everything kind of with the commissions like going into it and stuff like that's also you know like I kind of like for me take that into consideration too so yeah absolutely and that's something that we don't think about as much we think okay how much does it take to record an album we think of the day of the recording and maybe you know whatever it takes afterwards for people to edit stuff but there's mm -hmm. commissions and there's promotion and there's marketing and there's you know putting on a concert and all of these things cost money uh, renting equipment and so on so it's um it's a lot of stuff. Carly, go ahead. So I'm wondering, um, maybe some of our younger listeners might know like, yeah, grants are a good idea or these organizations exist. How did you learn about um, securing funding? Like, did you kind of walk through it and work on your own or were there some resources that helped you? Yeah, that being said, um, I almost want to like preface, yeah, uh, answer to your question is, you know, when you're in school now, fortunately, there are more and more courses on entrepreneurship, at least um, that was something that was offered to me in, you know, my time in school, probably not, you know, stressed enough, but it was definitely something that was required uh, to be taken at least like for one semester, we had like entrepreneurship course. Um, but yeah, I think like, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't really know if you need a course on it. I think like the course is just like, 
you need to really um, make connections uh, throughout your whole life as an artist and then know how to really harvest those like connections. And that, that's not, I hope it doesn't sound like, you know, you're just trying to use people and that's not it. I mean, because um, I've had relationships with people that didn't really supply me money, but they answered a question and that was huge, you know? I've also had relationships with people who have supplied me money. I've had relationships, relationships with people who gave me like some of the best advice ever. And that's better than any money anyone can give you. So I think like, um, if I could give any, like anybody advice on how to do this, like, of course, you know, I agree. Albums are very, very expensive and they take so much time and really any pro uh, project. It could be not an album. It could be anything, a concert. It takes a lot of time, but I think you can save yourself a lot of um, like struggle if you, yeah, really just like lean on people. Like I'm not too ashamed to ask um, anybody a question, text someone like, hey, um, how did you apply for this? Or it does, you know, like I, I, I ask questions all the time even to Felix for un unrelated things. Um, so don't be afraid to ask people like how they're doing it. I mean, for example, like we all know the So Guys and some like I've feel like I've interacted with them kind of all throughout my life but especially you know now with pathos and they've been so uh kind and generous giving um us their time and advices which are have been so helpful um and like yeah don't think that just because someone is maybe a little bit higher up than you that they don't want to help you um I, I would say the majority of people will be glad that you asked and are happy to help but anyways to answer your question I'm sure Felix actually can answer that question better than me yeah, that, that was great. I actually like, oh my, I, I totally even forgot. Um, Cause I was, I mean, that was so great. I, I, I'm really glad you, yeah, I'm really glad you brought all that up. Definitely, definitely, you know, I think um, something I think is a little unique with, with our group, you know, uh, we're, we're kind of fortunate where, you know, you know, a lot, a lot of what I do for my work in terms of, uh, you know, my daytime work outside of, you know, doing doing performing is you know i i'm a grant i'm a grant writer you know i've been doing it for years so it's you know and i've you know i've had I've, I've built for the past you know five plus years you know connections with and i'm very familiar with you know art, arts organizations and music organizations so it, it was it really helped us in that sense you know kind of you know with with the group i kind of you know really tried to apply that try try to apply you know like you know, my background and resources and, you know, oh, it was always kind of jumping back and forth with Alan Marceline about like, we should apply for this or, and, you know, like, how do you feel about like, if I reached out to this organization? And so, yeah, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a collaborative effort. And yeah, and, I, and I, like I said, it's not, I think it's a little, it's a, it was a little unique in our situation because of just, just my background. And, you know, I've, I've been doing it for years. So it's, it's, it really has um, benefited and helped the group, I think a lot. Definitely. I, I always think that, you know, if you could have, if you have a quintet and it's perfect, but nobody knows how to write, ooh, you're not going to get as far as, you know, with a grant writer in there, <laughs> at least. I mean, it's, right. it's we just are so, so lucky to have Felix. I mean, yes. I've talked to other ensembles and I mean, I've seen people literally not be successful because and I totally understand, like, it's not like I'm saying like, how dare they, but like, I've seen things kind of go, you know, not where they could to, to, to their potential because, because who has, you know, who has that kind of skill and frankly, the time, you know, because um, the majority of people that play in chamber ensembles, they do other stuff as well. So, or that's, it's, it's not even remotely their full-time thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a blessing to have Felix. I talked to one of my uh, friends who's like a principal percussionist and one of his one of his major interests is playing chamber music but he's like holy hell though like the whole admin side of it it's like I don't have like I'm already so busy in the symphony it's like you are so lucky to have that guy and he's like is you free like can I phone I'm like it's mine mine all mine <laughs> <laughs> yeah I uh so I had to write my first grant this year um, to try to get some funding for a group here, uh, the school I teach at, and we have, we're lucky we have a grant writer on campus that, of course, he's not going to do all the work for you, but he'll guide you and help you find the funding and he'll edit it for you. 
And yeah, after going through that once, I totally understand um, the importance of having someone like that, like in an ensemble like yours. And I really, really wish in any of my degrees, there was something about how to write grants or, you know, how to do any of that thing, because it's such a unique skill set. Yeah, I mean, and not the same, but it's, I think, pretty similar skill, like even writing like a PASIC application. Uh, I remember the first time I sat down to do it, I was like, whoa, I, I, I don't. I don't know what I'm doing here <laughs> and like trying to sum up and like what you're going to do for an hour in one paragraph is, and like making it sound compelling is it's really difficult. Yeah. Cherish your grant writers, send them a lot of cookies. And um, if they're not yours yet, then court them because you'll need their advice. That's minimum. Um, but if you, if you don't have any, then just, you know, read and write. And there are books, I'll say. If, if there's no course, there are books on grant writing in, in the arts that are super helpful to start off if, if that's what you're interested in. But to go back to the album. So the album is going to drop. And then a few days later, you're going to have a performance in not that like small and unimportant of a venue, it seems like. You're going to be playing at the New World Center. And um, one thing that I noticed about your material is obviously that the visual element is so strong and so important. And I was just wondering, done by the fabulous 410 Media, our, our buddies. Um, so how are you going to translate that to the stage? And also you have so many bloody setups. How are you going to translate that to the stage? How will you do this? So, yeah, so fortunately, um, this concert is pretty much entirely um, going to be, you know, not really sponsored, but also um done by the new world symphony so we have our in-house like video team and audio team and like stage crew so this is it's gonna be a part of their like regularly scheduled programming um and i think the new world center is particularly a special venue because um well it's a frank gary building um <laughs> And it's a state-of-the-art building that can be really transformed. I mean, we have rented out our spaces to like the Latin Grammys and like movie awards and all kinds of crazy tech conferences. So there's been all kinds of, yeah, things being done in the building. Um, and we have really capable, interesting um, lighting setups as well. And we have completely like, um, it's like, it's, I, don't know, I don't know how you say it. it's like, a camera that doesn't require a person right there, uh, automated, no, uh -huh, like a remote manual camera. Control. Yeah, remote, yeah, camera. So they're already placed in our spaces and they just are operated in like a booth outside, um, all 4K capacity. Um, so we're super lucky. And if anything, what the pandemic taught me is how nice it's been. We had this like way before. Um, so we're like streaming, whatever. Um, so that's something that's like I've been really grateful for. And also I, you know, I realize um, I'm not gonna have around forever. So yeah, definitely this, this show will be really cool um, to do at this special uh, place. We're not gonna be playing at like the big gigantic hall just because I thought the, I don't know, wouldn't be so suiting for our acoustics, but we have a like chamber hall that's gonna be, that's where it's gonna be hosted called the Truest Pavilion. And yeah, I think we're gonna try to uh, work out some different lighting for each piece is going to have some kind of different light sets, but definitely some more like darker, uh, like it's not going to be like a very standard basically setup. Um, but besides that, I guess who's going to have to come and find out. Tickets available on ws.edu. Oh, she's good. She's good. You got, you hired her well. <laughs> You're a good team, dream team. <laughs> so Awesome. I, I'm I'm really glad to know. So if you're in Miami, just just go. It's I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Um, but okay, you can't give away too many secret, secrets. But how is this going to be different than a regular concert? Because it's always so special to launch an album. Obviously, people are going to be able to buy it there. I assume. Um, are you going to hang out with some VIPs afterwards? Are you gonna? I don't know give out autographs that are going to cost millions in 10 years like what's what's the idea there people have all sorts of crazy ideas when it comes to album launches so do you have any special sauce we're going to be doing a taco eating contest afterwards in miami i'm just kidding we're not actually doing that. although i think I, that'd be great i was gonna book a ticket i was that gonna fly. Great, right? <laughs> this is marketing just give people tacos and you're fine 
yeah, yeah. Like I know, like a couple of things. I, I mean, like I think for one, I, I think, I think the concert might be live streamed too. But I mean, we also, we, we also have like you know, pe- people who have been really big supporters of the group for, from like the time we like formed. And you know they're 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 kind of flying they're kind of flying and it's kind of what you're saying you know we're definitely going to have like a I think just like a hang after after the concert and you know we're also going to u- utilize the 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 space itself and you know we've had we have with like most of the composers on the program you know we've 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 recorded uh, in- interviews and like introductions to their pieces from the you know each of the composers talking about their pieces themselves so like you know we would be playing that in between pieces. So I think it's, I think, and I, yeah, and especially being in the smaller, in the smaller chamber, um, in the chamber uh, recital hall, uh, I think it's gonna be a really, a really special and uh, I guess you could say like intimate, intimate concert. Awesome, awesome. Um, so let's go on into marketing. It's gonna, the album's gonna come out and you're gonna have to, as everyone does, I just want to demystify this for performers because this is not selling your soul. It's just what happens with everything that goes out into the market. You have to, you have to market it for it to exist in the market, right? <laughs> um, so what is your marketing strategy? And do you have a marketing Sherpa? Because I feel like in music, we really don't talk about this enough. And I'll just say this, one thing that blew my mind, I went and I spoke to my mom, who's like doing stuff in the cosmetics industry. And I asked her, I was like, mom, why do you think just contemporary music concerts aren't as hip as some others? And you know, she gave me her opinion, but she said, you don't invest enough in, in marketing. And I said, well, how much are we supposed to invest? And she said, well, for example, the top companies in cosmetics, looking at like L'Oreal or whatever, they invest 90% of their budget in marketing. And I was like, 90%? So I looked it up and L'Oreal invests $2 billion in marketing in the US alone. And we all know about them. I'm just trying to say like, I mean, obviously maybe not everyone here or everyone who's listening buys L'Oreal's products, but you would be surprised what all they actually own. They own Prada, they own like all of these brands. Um, And it's not just for them. If you look at anything that gets pushed out into the market, it all costs so much for it to actually be profitable. So you have to invest a lot of money in it. Um, So wondering just what's, What's on your plate there? How have you thought about this? Well, you know, one observation that I just noticed uh, working with the group over time is that we have this sort of core message that we all very just naturally align on. And it was never something that we explicitly discussed, but I feel like in terms of marketing, when if you think about the core demographic that you're trying to cater to, you know, if you're making, you know, cosmetic products, like who's going to use this, like, and what are they looking for, like the basic functionality of it. It's it's hard to make a translation, at least in my mind, for music and art, because it's just not the way we think about it. Like, ideally, it's not the way you think about it when you're composing, like, so kind of utilitarian, but like, um, we have this core alignment that I think naturally resonates with people uh, who particularly like uh, contemporary chamber music, but also uh, like resonate with uh, maybe like a heavy metal music or maybe more vernacular music. So the way that we've kind of commissioned composers is sort of around this sort of platform where we're doing this in a, in a concert venue, but the range of influence is very authentically coming from these different styles of music. And uh, to kind of tie it with the question about our videos and how that translates to our live performance, I think we kind of dip into some other ways of sort of portraying the music and portraying the art form that we do. So I guess like when it comes to marketing, I think we just have very, a very clear image and uh, it wasn't something that was explicitly discussed. It was just like something that just came very, again, authentically and um, just kind of leaning into that, which can be really hard because uh, it's very vulnerable to lean into something like that, uh, especially if it's meaningful and personal. Uh, so. I think by just kind of approaching what we do with this sort of very focused and very uh, genuine sort of outlook, I think has kind of made, helped us in sort of getting proliferating what we're doing out there, if that makes any sense. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is something that resonates with with many people is when things are done honestly, of course, um, it is it, it absolutely leaves a, an important stamp on your work. Um, but still, I, I'd like to know. So you're writing these grants and you say we need money, say, to do this. Do you actually put in a marketing tab in there and you say we need X amount of money for marketing and do you market on social media? Do you get print marketing? Do you how do you do it? Well, with a lot of a lot of the grants I you know we've applied for, I haven't really kind of uh, put too much as far as like marketing. We, I feel like um, kind of along the lines of what Alan was saying. You know, we we're, we try to be just really true to ourselves, but also I guess be creative in terms of like how how we mar how we market ourselves. You know, some sometimes sometimes I feel like there's this impression of like when you're thinking of marketing that you have to you have to spend a lot of money and. and kind of kind of going to the point of what Alan was uh, talking about, you know, really kind of focusing on, you know, what what we're what we all as a group are, are really passionate about. And, you know, in the music that we try to present and commission, you know, we kind of try to, you know, as honestly, you know, put that on the world and let let that sort of speak for itself. And and also, you know, there's always going to be there's always going to be audience for 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 every for everyone in terms of like, you know who, who's listening to your to your your content so um so i think sometimes it's not it's not always about having like you know a, like a big budget to to market but but being smart about how how it is you're you're engaging with like your audience so yeah that being said also like um using our social media has been huge um i've noticed the most random shit you'll post will go viral like you will pour your heart out into some marimba transcription and it could probably be the best thing that's ever been played on the marimba and you'll it'll get like two views you're like no and then you'll play like on a pad and it's like randomly tens of thousands of views reposted by some drum magazine modern magazine blah blah, blah. and it's like dude that was like i was like stick control like what so you never know. So like, I mean, what I've honestly been told um, has been just like, just keep throwing stuff out there and see what sticks. And obviously, like, don't put anything dumb out there. But, you know, I feel like it is nowadays social media, it is a little bit more like quantity, 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 because also with the algorithm, like, who the hell knows how that works? Seems like it's just always changing, too. So we might as well, like, kind of be putting stuff out there um, or, you know, obviously the, obviously the hashtags, whatever, but like even doing partnerships with like a brand or reemphasizing your partnership, let's say, you know, Felix with Vic Firth and stuff like that. It's huge. I mean, people follow stick companies, people follow whatever record companies, and you're going to then hit an audience you might not have even hit. Um, like, let's say people are interested in pad, but they're not necessarily like, orchestral percussionists maybe they're I don't know like drummers or who knows um so you I think that's that's the key because like we said our target demographic isn't really necessarily not really is like the pace of crowd which is it can be that totally um but we just wanted to also make it like for anybody you know to listen to that's why like you know we look up to people like square peg round hole for example because that's something you want to, you could like, you know, put in CD like in your car and you play it and like the person next to you who's not a musician is like, oh my gosh, like what is that? It's really cool. And you're like, oh, well, it's a chamber group, but you know, it's a little bit, you know, more fun to listen to. Maybe not, no offense, Stockhausen. It's like, love it. Maybe not for like a scenic road trip vibes. Me personally. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to think I have a ax murderer driving behind me, me personally. <laughs> I don't know. All of my viral social media posts have been grouping. So like I don't know, which is the, the Stockhausen piece, which is just which is a horrible joke. Like let's just forget that. <laughs> I was gonna say the exception proves the rule, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean that's something that everyone um should think about, especially our young listeners, is that 
um, there is there are free platforms out there. And yes, sometimes they work really strangely and you have no, no idea why some things get picked up and why some don't. But you have to put them out there. So you have to have a YouTube channel where these things exist and you have to have a website where these things live and social media channels because people will now frequently try to find you first on social media before they Google you even. Um, so doing all of that i think is minimum to let people know that your album is is out there because you could create the most beautiful gem in the world and then if you just like leave it in your mom's kitchen it's not gonna go anywhere nobody's gonna hear it so you got to tell people somehow so this is all very useful thank you um so obviously as i said this album is a gift that you're gonna give to the world um, but what do you expect of it to give back artistically or financially or career-wise? Again, what are what are albums for even today? It would be such a great kind of jump off point for us, especially we really were talking about touring. And um, for example, you know, I have European connections and it would be amazing to get to then uh, be able to take this album, show promoters um, and go play in, in Europe and actually in Asia, we'd love to to play there. I know Felix has a bunch of connections. Felix has connections fucking God knows everywhere. Like he's, he could probably know people in Zimbabwe. I don't know, probably does. Like he just knows everybody. So, <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> but off topic, but um, really, yeah, it would be cool to do that. And then also getting a chance to um, play in colleges and maybe do some kind of workshops. I feel like that would be huge. And then collaborations, then we were talking about collaborating with Chorus, I remember at one point, um, we actually had something in the works. So maybe, yeah. So I feel like I'm a, like a hopeless optimist. I always think that like, when you get this, it could, it could get you here, it could get you all the way over here. Um, so every little step you take as an ensemble um, is, is gonna be huge, you know? huge that's awesome that's awesome and that's very uh well put i think uh for a lot of contemporary musicians i'll just say this out loud um nobody makes not nobody i don't i don't know anybody who has made a living selling contemporary music albums which does not mean that they are not hugely beneficial and it usually is for the sake of having sort of your um, it's like your business card, but except it's audio um, out there into the world to, to give it out there into the world, because that's what con concert presenters want. And then by getting all these concerts is how you can say pay off your album <laughs> or even make not even like a little bit of money, a lot of money, which is amazing. But you have to have a whole product, something that is easily translatable into a, a concert. So it's like, hey, here's this thing. It's a new album. We can promote it this year so it's like fresh and new and then you get money a little bit differently it's not like the money rolls in from spotify all right so tell us because you folks actually have a label which is amazing um what role does a label play in an album release yeah i mean so i mean we're we're putting this album out on new focus recordings you know with uh part you know it's, it's run by uh dan whipple and uh, Neil Beckerman, and you know they've they've been really great collaborators throughout this whole process of put of you know helping us put this album out and produ and producing it. And so I mean, I think I think in a lot of different ways. I mean, and I've kind of been learning as I as I've been going, you know, working with them. But you know, like kind of even circling back a little bit to like marketing, for example. You know, that's something I I never really realized with you know. What, what comes with, you know, when you're working with a label, it's like, you know, they have their own internal, internal, you know, like list of, you know, uh, like press and like, and, and uh, PR, PR personnel that, you know, they share the album with. And so, and lots of things I don't, I don't think people really think about or, or maybe wouldn't know otherwise, unless that they've worked with a label themselves. So, I mean, like, you know, it's almost, it's almost, I feel like, uh, a label in some in some respects are kind of like your like managers as you're you know like kind of like uh yeah as you're as you're working and putting out your your music into the world and i think alan can even kind of talk about this a little bit too because you know he's he's getting ready to 
put out put out an album or I think an EP with with his other group, the Gia. So yeah, I totally agree with Felix that they're kind of like management. Um, and to go off of Felix's point of sort of how they can assist you with just visibility. I mean, when you release music into the world, uh, you know, it's such it's so saturated, right? There is so much music out there. And having a label can help sort of streamline your visibility. Um, and also it kind of gives like a sort of credibility to the, to the ensemble as well. Um, you know, when you see a label, you know that they're going up to bat for this group and there's something, you know, really uh, endearing about that. And it, it kind of just, again, helps uh, people take that initial leap to maybe investigate uh, what that, what that artist sounds like and what that artist is doing. And, you know, that's, that's been our relationship with New Focus. And, you know, just broadly speaking, you know, labels can also be a great uh, source of capital for, for, you know, different ventures that the group wants to undertake, um, you know, uh, in addition to sort of uh, grant writing and proposals, you can also get a label to help fund tours and help fund album cycles. And, you know, of course, with that comes you know, some kind of contract where, you know, you have to negotiate how, you know, they're going to have, you know, how they're going to hopefully recoup their investment, but um, they can really help get things started, um, you know, if, if that's the position that your ensemble is in. So I think there's so many benefits to having a label. Uh, then again, uh, and a lot of people who are super anti-label too, and I have a couple of friends who uh, run groups classical ensembles and, and also just rock bands who, you know, make a full-time gig out of touring uh, and they're totally DIY, um, but they're willing to do the more administrative and commercialization uh, work uh, uh, that comes with it. So, you know, much like so many of us in the arts, it's like you, you put so much energy into the work, but then also like your, it, the administrative stuff becomes a two day jobs, you know, uh, so record labels can also help uh, do the heavy lifting on the admin side, and then you get to kind of take your energy to the, the project at hand. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's very well put, and there are great arguments for for both sides. You know, for for having a record label, so having your own like cheerleading team that's gonna help you figure everything out, especially if it's your first time. Uh, doing an album, but then also doing things of, on your own, which I guess makes a lot more sense for people who make a bunch of money. So they don't want to give like a cut of that pie to someone else, <laughs> but it's okay. Like in any case, if you want to do an album, don't let anything stop you. Don't wait for 10 years to get a label, record stuff now. You can also self-produce and figure these things out. But how did you, so this is your first album. How did you get a label? Because it's not like they've heard you before on a different album. I feel like changing labels or when you already have something out there, it's easier to get uh, in contact with people. How do you happen to get a first timer with a label? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely, it was definitely a slow buildup. I, I mean, I think, I think a lot of the work that we put into the, the commissions, but also putting out uh, and producing video recordings of each of our pieces, I think that definitely helped them went a long way. Um, you know, when we, when we decided that we wanted to put all the all these all of our first batches of commissions out into an album, you know, we were able to kind of present it sort of like in a package with with these videos and the and the audio recordings, you know, to labels and you know and, and kind of just gauge, you know, who responded back, who you know who had interest and wanted to you know put out the album. So I think that definitely uh, had a lot had a, had a lot to do with you know how it sort of came up on on uh, new focuses radar and they seemed really um out of any label i think and i think also with the music that we're trying to put out with this album they seemed like for sure uh by far the best fit to work with that's, that's awesome so you had already some or a lot of material to present so you packaged it and then you pitched it to different labels just so people know that they shouldn't be waiting for a label to come knocking on their door um, even if they have some great stuff out there on their channels, right? You you put this all together and then you pitch it to people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's that's really good to know. So sometimes you see, I mean, if if that was cold emailing, it worked. So you got to send a thousand before one works, but that one that works is going to be really important. So do it. Um, so what has been the most challenging part of this process for you? 
the pandemic, I think for sure. <laughs> that really, that really put a stop to the whole thing. But I feel like that's a, a cliche answer at this point, but it really was, it kind of halted the whole process. Um, right when it was about to take off, we were actually in Miami in 2020 about to play uh, our new world concert uh when i was warming up and marcelina came into the practice room that i was in and she's just like yeah like the whole season's canceled and i'm just like what (laughs) we just got here (laughs) right i mean at that time at the time that's a correct you at the time like they said they said like oh just this week was canceled and i remember we all thought it was gonna be like week two weeks like that's where we're like okay just maybe like the next yeah, next concert cancel. We'll see you by next week. <laughs> we were so naive. So naive. <laughs> yeah, and it was and it was even like after that happened, we were kind of like, we we're like, okay, well, we're guess we're kind of stuck in Miami for a few days. I guess we can just have like a little mini vacation. And I think it was, it was like two, it was like two, three days in, where then after like we were seeing on the news like the New York City lockdowns, and then they like quickly sank in. We we're like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think one of the little challenges that we have as an ensemble is the fact that I'm just not in the same city as the other two. But I feel like we also like prove that, you know, this can totally be done. And there's a bajillion people that play together across continents. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's something that we have to definitely think about and just factor into timing and budget. Um, but yeah, I think we proved that it can be done, but it's a little bit like, yeah, obviously it's not, it's inconvenient because I can't just like get up, walk across the street, go to Felix's house and rehearse. So it's just something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, most of the chamber ensembles that I know, professional ones are long distance relationships. It's really rare. It's one, it's for people where you hear like, so or sandbox or third copes percussion, someone quit their tenure track job to actually go pursue this. And you're just like, wow, they're really exceptions to the rule. So, um, and it works. It can absolutely work if it's long distance. So just, you know, stick with it again. Ben. I was going to say, like, there's this thing, like, when you live in Florida, you don't go to the beach, and it's, like, just, it's right there, and, like, I think that being a long-distance ensemble almost has an advantage, um, not that I've had a, a project like this for years, but, like, long-distance projects, it's always, like, I know the score so much better, and there's so much communication ahead of time, and it's, like, you know the piece cold, and then the rehearsal is almost an afterthought, whereas, like, if you live with someone, you might kind of like go to rehearsal to figure the piece out. And if you don't have that luxury, it really forces like knowledge of the score. So I actually, I don't think it's necessarily like a huge detriment. It just forces you to really do your homework. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you should be that nice to your co-players, even if you're in the same city. Just yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to be a good person. Um, cool. So what is something that you wish you knew um before you started this journey now that you have all of this perspective and the album is done and just ready to be popped out of the oven i have one um i wish i knew how difficult it is to arrange for venues to let you go inside the piano the way that we go inside the piano um that has been a tremendous barrier and we've had some really imaginative works written for us inside the piano that are just so colorful um but before we get there i have you have this very difficult conversation with the venue where we have to explain what we're going to do to their piano and there's just a lot of discomfort around that and also like you know this is a really expensive instrument we don't want rosin and like tape and sticky tack everywhere so uh it's been difficult to perform a lot of the rep that we have written for us and which is super unfortunate um so one thing is that i wish i was uh, more aware of that before the commissioning process and during the conversations with composers. Just, you know, if you're working with Inside the Piano, Prepare Piano, I know this is a percussion podcast, so I feel like, uh, you know, I'm not really fitting the bill here, but uh, definitely know know what the limitations are um, before you commit to a bunch of venues with a set repertoire. No, you're good. We know about Prepare Piano. <laughs> That's in our world. <laughs> No, but that's that's horrible and that music is so beautiful i mean that that was one of the like most enchanting pieces is when you went into the piano i just i really loved that and that's just so unfortunate i, I mean i swear concert presenters are sometimes dummies 
I mean, they don't get it. They're also like, oh, you have to bring in this equipment. Where are you going to get it from? Are you going to fly with it all with, you know, is it all going to come with you? Oh, we can't rent a marimba. What's a marimba? So I, I understand it's all, it's a battle, but I feel like you're, you're fighting for the right thing. And the smart ones are going to hire you and they're going to let you do the tax in the piano. And the piano is going to be fine. The piano is going to be fine. Okay. Remember the piano is going to be fine. A prepared piano can be resurrected. It's fine. We have an Instagram question from our buddy, Jade Hales. Thanks, Jade. You always give us great questions. And he asked, can you talk about blending piano and percussion challenges approaches? I mean, cause it must be hard. Those two are really loud. Well, I mean, one thing that we constantly ask ourselves is, are we going to amplify the piano or are we not going to amplify the piano? That's definitely a conversation that we have all the time, um, depending on the venue and everything. Um, and I, I found that I definitely need to uh, play out a lot more. And we usually keep the lid off the piano for that reason, um, because, you know, bass drums are loud. They're yeah. great, but they're loud. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when Marcelina plays, they they get this extra Polish like oomph in there. <laughs> you gotta really put in the work into the piano. <laughs> okay, well, this is awesome. How about Felix and Marcelina? How is it for you? I know anytime I play with the piano, it's I mean, especially if it's a big setup, it's like, oh, am I gonna be able to hear you, or is this you listening to me and me watching you? Yeah, I mean, I think. In general, we we spend um, a lot of time in rehearsal just determining what's going on at what you know place in the music. So, um, like obviously, besides the obvious, like you know, let's say Alan's has a solo, obviously we play less. Um, I think also there is an element element of in what way are we interacting? Um, so not just like you know, there's two voices, but is the voices role to interrupt? Is it to comment? Is it to echo? Um, that's something that takes you know the music to another level. So uh, obviously, we always try to know when we play is the role of the line that we're doing, and so that's something that then informs um, how we play. I mean, that that being said, though, we'll, we'll play on multi setups, and that's something like I feel like I was it was really emphasized to me while I was in school was if you have a multi setup and you play a line across all the instruments and the same volume, let's say if Kertali's drum and something else, it's gonna go because you don't um, adapt which is, which with each instrument. So obviously like there's certain instruments if you just even look in their direction, it's already too loud. So um, that's something we honestly even have to remind ourselves. It's like, we'll be wailing away on like Tam or something. And Alan's like, can you, stop please like I don't know I can't hear my thoughts so yeah. it's something like it's easy for us drummers to just kind of ignore but it's um dealing with these multi setups it's it's a huge part of our sound concept process yeah yeah well and I'm sure that you're gonna have a lot of time to practice <clears throat> with all the concerts coming up after your album promotion so you're gonna be able to try it with mics without mics with amplification without so and I really hope that they just give them the piano. They're going to bless it with great music. Just give them the piano and let them prepare it. It's just stupid. Before we wrap up and you get to invite people uh, to your wonderful concerts um, and tell them all about where they can get the album when it drops, I just have a little question because Alan here is like the, the, the newbie and Alan, you write for like Amazon and stuff. What, how do you do that? Because we know a lot of percussionists also like to write music. I mean, maybe for video games or whatever, we have sort of Venn diagram of, of nerdiness going on there. And you're definitely the first person that I've met uh, that writes for Amazon. How do you do that? Oh my God, not even that. Like car commercials, Netflix shows. Medication? Yeah. Medication or Probably. something? I don't know, yeah. Alan. <laughs> How? Pharma, there's a lot of work for pharma commercials for some strange reason. And it's not the most exciting thing to write for. I probably shouldn't say that, but it's not the most exciting thing to write for, but the work is there. Um, when I was a master's student, uh, going back to cold calling, I, I had a burgeoning interest in you know film scoring and uh, 
I wrote to a bunch of post-production studios, had an internship, uh, and then ended up getting hired by that studio as a freelance composer. And I've been with them for like five years now. So, you know, like once every two to three weeks, we get commissioned to, to do a project. And um, it's usually like me and four other composers, we all write to the same brief. And then one of us goes forward with the client and agency to craft the final composition. So it's kind of like an audition every time, but it's like four to six in-house composers working at this one uh, post-production studio in, in, in Manhattan. Uh, yes, well, I, we need to, to share some sad but important news. And that is that uh, two of the most significant American composers that have made very large strides for percussion have passed away. Uh, and we've actually discussed both of them, both of them in depth on the podcast. Uh, George Crum, we talked about on episode 258 with Sarah Rimkus. And William Kraft, we talked about on episode 208 with David Herbert. Uh, but very briefly, George Crum passed away on February 6th of this year at the age of 92. He was known for his exploration of unusual timbres, alternative notation, and extended techniques. Um, so if you are not familiar with George Crum, uh, this is an example of one of his scores. It's just this uh, always this maddening array of really intense small notation that's very intimidating to look at, but just sounds absolutely amazing. Um, some of his percussion-centric works include Music for a Summer Evening, which is for two pianos and percussion, uh, his four books of madrigals, and seven books uh, known as the American Songbooks. And then this is not a percussion-centric work, but I wanted to mention his piece Black Angels, which is probably my favorite crumb piece. It's a, a quartet for electric string quartet. The Kronos Quartet commissioned that and recorded it. Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, uh, Mark Ford shared a couple of pictures. This is one of them. This is George Crumb with Christopher Dean in the early 1980s. Christopher Dean uh, was sort of George Crumb's percussion consultant. Um, and did I did I mention his former students? If I didn't, they are uh, include Osvaldo Goliath, Jennifer Higdon, and Christopher Rouse. And the other composer, William Kraft, passed away yesterday, February 12th, at the age of 98. He was inducted into the PAS Hall of Fame in 1990. His percussion-centric works include basically all of his works, um, but in, in particular his encounters. Uh, there are multiple encounters for different instrumentation, but almost always involving percussion. Uh, he has two timpani concerto, and he has a concerto for four percussionists in symphonic wind ensemble, which I heard the UNT Wind Symphony perform. And here is the picture of that event with Christopher Dean with uh, Bill Kraft. And then I had uh, just a semi-personal anecdote about Bill Kraft I wanted to share. Uh, the last university I taught at, my, my drum set colleague, was his name was Tony Lavender, and Tony said there was one night he was playing at a, a jazz club and uh, this guy came up and introduced himself and he said, hi, my name is, is William Kraft. I really enjoy your playing. And so Tony was so taken back by that that Tony and his solos for the rest of the night started quoting the uh, Bill Kraft French suite. And he said every time he would look over and Kraft would just crack up. So <laughs> that's my Bill Kraft story. So Carly, I think you had something. That's a great story. Yeah, actually, this is back on um, um, Black Angels and Kronos Quartet. Not only do they have this seminal recording and amazing um, version of Black Angels, but Kronos formed because David Harrington heard Black Angels and said, I need a group to play this with. Oh, I thought they commissioned it. I stand corrected. But yeah, now that you say that, I think that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty influential. That's, that's uh, beautiful. And yes, we've lost some greats, but they're hanging out somewhere out there a stardust together again so um this has been a wonderful conversation thank you marcelina felix and alan for joining us and of course my beautiful co-host as always even though ben sometimes makes fun of me but that's fine we'll settle that uh, account sometime other sometime other um anyway tell us where can we get your album where can we see you perform where do we get all those tickets all of that. When? Tickets for our show are at nws.edu. All the information is there. So if you just go on the calendar or concerts coming up, there's going to be a link somewhere. 
that's a professional website. Um, and then you'll see that also just on our website, Pathos Trio, we like to keep everything updated, but Felix um, album info. So yeah, up, actually update, um, the album's not gonna release on March 11th, it'll release a week later on March 18th. Um, we, had, we just pushed it back a week because of like logistics and stuff, but um, yeah, it'll release a few days after our new world concert. You can, you can pick it up on um, New Focus Records, you know, website, you know, we'll have it, we'll have it posted on our website. Uh, I think they're, I think New Focus plant, you're going to have it posted on uh, Bank, Bandcamp, Amazon. Um, and yeah, and I think those are the places generally you're going to be able to find it. And I guess kind of to do a little reveal, because I actually have a physical copy of the album. We, we got, we got the shipments last week. Um, and so there's, <gasps> there's the, it's the first reveal of, you know, the album physically cover so yeah wow well everybody so, tune into youtube to see this yeah wow. and so and so if you go to our new world center concert you'll actually will have will have you know copies of the physical physical album you know and people will be able to get it a few days i guess and exclusively some, before and some super sweet merch mm -hmm. some Ooh. super sweet merch are we so. going to be able to wear t-shirts with your faces on it <laughs> Less annoying, just our logo. Hmm. Oh, actually banned. <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's actually like coming next year. We'll do that. <laughs> I hope so. Or socks. I feel like that would be even cooler. That would get a lot. I mean, I've seen people do chapsticks. Like I'd say, go to town. Go to town. I think that's awesome. Great, great. Well, we really hope that at least everybody in Miami joins you. And then if you happen to stream this, let us know so we can do this. Uh, all over the world um, and then we'll catch you as you're hopping around to promote your album across the globe um, thank you so much again for being our guests it's been a true pleasure to see you all again to meet you alan and we will catch you on the next episode bye